0: The biggest thing
1: was that they actually had sent in a lady that brought in some children from a government orphanage and she was staying on the site. This woman watched me in particular the whole time I was there. And on the last day, she went and got the interpreter to ask me what it was that I had that she wanted. And I was able to lead her right through to the Lord and what an amazing change.
0: The Story... G'day, I'm Jimmy Colfax. Welcome to The Story. Well, you're never too young or too old for God to use you. If you're open to His leading, you could be in for some pretty amazing adventures. And that has definitely been the case for our guest today, Pastor Beverly Clark. When she was young, she knew she wanted to be a missionary one day. But it wasn't until her children were grown and moved out... That she finally went on her first trip overseas As we'll hear today This led to some pretty amazing ministry adventures In Tonga, South Africa, Russia and PNG Beverly is having a chat and sharing her story With Shelley Scohan
2: Beverly, thanks for joining us on The Story today It's great to be with you Well let's start off with where mission work all began for you Where was your very first overseas mission to And what made you take that very first step And sign up to be involved?
1: Well the very first one I did was into Tonga And I went over there with the church from Sydney To a prayer assembly And uh, I was involved with that With the Church of the Good Shepherd in Sydney And it was an eye-opener for experience on how to cross international borders and deal with translators and all that type of thing but to see God move in a very special way. During the time there we went out to the uh, monument they had built where the first missionaries ever landed in Tonga and had a meeting around the monument that they built and the moving of God at that time was just electrifying and that really burned a thing in my heart. Mm,
2: It's where you caught Um, the bug, right?
1: Yeah, that's where I caught the bug. (laughs) But I really knew God called me to missions when I was about 13 and I had no idea how it was all going to come into play.
2: All right, tell us that story. How did God call you into missions when you were a teenager?
1: Well, I was involved with the youth in my church and we used to go off to youth camps quite regularly. And I remember sitting through a service on the Saturday night and... The Lord just impressed upon me that he wanted me to do mission work. Then I remember the minister's wife had just come back from New Guinea and I thought, one day I'm going to go to New Guinea. So it began when I was 13.
2: Wow. But it was many decades later that you actually started that mission work and obviously did end up in PNG. So what was it like in the years since that? Did you ever try and hurry God along or try and make it happen in your own strength or even wonder if God had actually given you that word?
1: Sometimes I did and sometimes I didn't. I remember when I was all of 21, at the end of it, just before I turned 22 it was, I thought, oh, well, God, I must do something about doing some training if I am going to go to missions. And I didn't get to Bible college till I was about 24 but I did go, and um, I went to Tali Bible College, which is in Whyperoo, and not far from Newcastle in New South Wales. And I did two years Bible College training there to go to missions and go in, on to missions. And um, I got married not long after that to someone, and and um, that sort of closed the door for a while. But I always remained interested in missions by serving with the two missionary societies actually here in Australia, and then. Um, Just on the volunteer side of cooking for their camps on weekends and stuff like that. Mm -hmm.
2: Which is also a great Um, ministry as well to be involved in here in Australia. But as you were saying, you you kind of really caught the bug when you went to Tonga and, uh, (laughs) you know, finally got to do what you knew God had asked you to do so many years before.
1: Yes, I did. And I think the reason was that my boys were off my hands and I was on my own and I had the time to do it freely without having to worry about pressures at
2: home. Mm. I like that, actually, because I think all too often people go, oh, yay, I'm free, now I can just live my life for me. Whereas you've very much gone, oh, yay, now I don't have, you know, these pressing responsibilities, now I can really go and serve God. (laughs) Isn't that a great attitude to have?
1: Yes, it was. It was just, um, and the Lord blessed me abundantly with, you know, like, being able to get my holidays from where I was working to fit into a mission trip and to, to, to do all those sorts of things that were necessary. and And then I suppose after the third mission trip I did, I started organising them.
2: <laughs> That's pretty awesome. <laughs> so you spent some time in South Africa as well. Tell us about that trip.
1: Well, that trip was for about 10 days over in South Africa and I was in Cape Town. And uh, just associated with doing a little bit of street ministry over there And really getting the feel of of what it was to really be in another culture That didn't have the standards of living That had a real street culture that wasn't good And that was interesting, you know, just to be able to speak to people and share the gospel
2: But I guess for you, the real eye-opener came when you went to Russia That was a whole new learning curve for you, wasn't it?
1: it was a big learning curve one of the main things that happened when i went into russia was um there was four of us went and three of us had our visas marked that we were going in to do going in as friends of the orphanage and one visa was printed she was going into work and we got to valovostok airport and we had to get through immigration with this and, and i had to really rely on the lord to get this young girl through immigration with me and and god just told me what to do step by step and we eventually got her through so that they were ready to put her on a plane to send her back to australia
2: tell us about what you did there in russia
1: so then we went to an orphanage in russia that had christians running it and we went over with the job to teach the people how to run a Christian camp for children during their school vacations. And we spent four weeks over there working side by side with the people from the orphanage. And we were part of the the underground church in Russia. So that was interesting being connected to them Um, and to see God just move on the children. The children were just amazing to be with, to talk to and but we work with interpreters the whole time. and I do drawings uh, while I speak, you know the old-fashioned way of doing open-air campaigners drawings I do that. and I did a story of Moses and the children actually told me the story. I just drew it on the board and then they were telling the interpreter and she was telling me the story.
2: Oh that's interesting. I mean, okay. And did they get it right or did they uh, add some embellishments along the way?
1: They had it absolutely spot on right. It was just amazing. That's how well they were taught living in this Christian orphanage. Yeah, Um, And we found out a lot. You know, the orphanage had its own um, veggie farm where they used to grow their veggies and then put them underground. They used them and then they used to put the ones they couldn't use in a type of refrigeration thing which was underground and they kept them there for the winter and that's how they fed the children during winter. They had cow that they milked and they had chickens and and all sorts of things so we got to work with the children we went swimming with them and but you don't know what God's doing no. In their hearts We've seen some of those children come through to the Lord But the biggest thing was that they actually had sent in a lady That brought in some children from a government orphanage And she was staying on the site This woman watched me in particular the whole time I was there That she was there, she just watched everything I did and I became conscious that she was watching me the second day she was there So I just had to just keep doing things And on the last day, in about an hour and a half before we actually left the orphanage to come back to Australia, she went and got the interpreter to ask me what it was that I had that she wanted. And I was able to lead her right through to the Lord and what an amazing change with this government, Russian government official coming right through to the Lord. The tears and the freedom was just amazing to see.
2: That's amazing, that's so good. So I guess having done these short-term missions in Tonga and South Africa and Russia, God had taught you a whole lot through those amazing experiences and I guess in many ways prepared you for the work he had for you in PNG. Just like you kind of knew right from when you were 13 that you would end up doing missionary work and probably in PNG, here you are. You've done so much over there. So tell us about where that all began in PNG.
1: Well it actually began here in Australia, I was running a church op shop and this two New Guinea men walked into the shop and, and they asked could they speak to the, the pastor in charge and uh, because everybody pointed at me and that was it and so I sat and talked to them for a while and, and because I was pastoring but I was under another pastor I referred them back to that other pastor and that opened the door up for us to go to New Guinea about six months later on a trip with the church and um, ten of us went up on that trip and that was an amazing trip especially for my husband because in that time I had got remarried again in 2005 and and my husband he was at the time 80 year old was his first mission trip and he'd been called to missions at the age of 17 and they never done anything. So at 80 year old, off we went on his first mission trip. He kept saying to me what he was going to do, and I said, you know what, God's going to teach you more than what you think. That's what I kept saying to him. And we got up there, and the very first meeting, we went up to do a conference with our pastor. And the very first meeting, we were five minutes into the worship time, and he said to me, he said, these people know more about worship and everything than I do. I said, we'll just flow with it. We're going to be on a big learning curve. And uh, that was our very first trip up there and we had a very successful conference with our pastor that year up there.
0: You're listening to The Story. Today Shelley Scowen is chatting with Pastor Beverly Clark who knew she wanted to be a missionary when she was only 13 years old. However, it wasn't until her children were grown and moved out that she went on her first missions trip and that was the beginning of her adventures. We'll learn about the ministries that she and her husband started in PNG when we return. The Story We're back with more of Shelley Scowen chatting with Pastor Beverly Clark, who, as we've been hearing, became involved in missions just in the last couple of decades, in the years since her children were grown and moved out. That's when she finally went on her first missions trip, and this has led to some pretty amazing ministry adventures in Tonga, South Africa, Russia and PNG. Now, here's more of Beverly sharing her story.
2: So in PNG, you've actually continued to go back a number of times uh, once a year, sometimes twice a year. Uh, tell us about Clark Family Missions.
1: Well, after the church that we were going to um, closed here in Ipswich, we kept a home group going here at home. We had people coming and we still have a home group going here for church on Sunday mornings at home. and. The pastor from New Guinea, his wife needed a total hip replacement. This was like two years after we went up there. She needed this total hip replacement because she was born with a dislocated hip. And, and she was 42-year-old at the time. And she, it's a long story. So I managed to get her into a GP down here that got her through to an orthopedic doctor. And we actually were able to, in the next two years, raise... The amount of money that was required Which was just for the operation And all the medical stuff And that was $37,000 We managed to raise that up In the next two years And we had her down here We brought her down to our own home And looked after her five and a half months uh, While she had the total hip replacement But my husband and I had gone up to New Guinea together And we had gone up to do a conference up there For a whole weekend And um, then when we came back my stepdaughters decided their father was so changed that something had to have happened to him in New Guinea and they wanted to come on a mission trip with us to New Guinea. So we took them up with us and we took up one of our grandsons at the same time and that's how the Clark family mission began.
2: And what impact has that had on your family?
1: Oh, just amazing impacts. I think the first year we went up, My two sons were okay. Oh, yeah, that's mum just being mum, you know. But my husband's two sons decided that New Guinea was a very dangerous place and we shouldn't go into New Guinea. And so we copped the third degree from them. And Mm -hmm. so we just went anyway. And um, now they ask us what we do up there. So the impact has been on the family now. It's been amazing. Like the two girls, I had a heart for the children up there and one of them, the daughter Heather, was a retired school teacher and she just had a major heart for the children. And and that began the Children's Day, the second year that they came up with us then.
2: Mm, tell us about Children's Day, yeah, because that's quite an amazing ministry.
1: The first year, we started with 15 children to start the day off, and by the end of the day, we had 103 because the women... Of the church could see what we were doing and they literally went out two by two to the into the highways and the byways around the church and brought the children in and so we finished up with a hundred and three children of which we had money given to us before we went and we actually paid for them to be fed for the day we fed them a lunch for the day and um, the children so we had these fifteen church children, and then we had all the rest were street kids, as it were, yep. that came in, and found out that quite a few of them were actually orphans. Yep. So the next year we went up, and we had, I think it was somewhere around hundred and ten or something children. And over the years, we got up to seven hundred and fifty children.
2: Wow, that's amazing.
1: It, it is. It's an amazing, amazing story. Heather actually uh, used to work all year to get ready for that Children's Day. She would write a play and she would do all sorts of things. And we would gather them in and she would teach them a Bible story with actions and everything attached to it and sing a song. And every year, faithfully, someone supplied the money for us to feed those children for the day.
2: They got fed physically and they got fed spiritually as well. I mean, for some of those kids it might have been the only time they ever heard the gospel, right?
1: Exactly. One year, I think it was about the 3rd year we went up, I said to Heather, we are not just taking up prizes for them this year. I said I'm going to make drawstring bags like the marble bags of the boys had when they were little. Mm-hmm. And we put a cake of soap, a washer, a toothbrush and pencil a pencil in it in the bag and every child that year i think i made nearly two hundred of them and every child that year got that bag to take home and the very next day we couldn't be there in that church because we had already planted the church up there sam and i and we were committed to go to this other church uh, on the sunday morning and then there was another church in Moresby that wanted the girls, so the two girls went off one way and we went off the other way. And there was no one from our team left at the main church because of one reason and another. And what actually happened was five families that had never been in church before turned up on the Sunday morning at church. To see these white people that had given their children these bags Little gifts, these bags Mm. And they actually got led through to the Lord by the local people up there Mm. And that changed the hearts of the senior people of the church Realising that not only did it touch the children But it touched the parents and the older people in the village Or the community where they were And these five families Not just that was mum and dad and the children were Added to the church that day mm. um, which was a major breakthrough because it was God that did it, it wasn't us, it was just God that sorted it all out and did it and that put them straight in contact with the pastors and the senior people of the church and we found out when we came back in for the Sunday night farewell that what had actually happened that morning in the church and I think there was two families that had actually come down to the night meeting at night farewell that they give us they give us a feast on the last night before we leave to come back home on the monday and um that was the breakthrough so from that year on the children's days numbers grew and there's a was a little boy up there he was about he'd be 14 now 14 15 now and he was the son of the worship leaders of the church and he was talk about an evangelist at four year old, went out into when he knew we were coming, when Mama and Papa were coming, he would go out into his own district and tell all his friends that we were coming and there was a children's day and he evangelized his area and he would bring in all these children from his area and some were orphans and some were had stable families and he'd bring the whole lot in. And he was responsible for bringing in, I'd say, three-quarters of the children on a a children's day to the church.
2: Well, literally, like I was saying earlier, you're never too young or too old for God to use you. God used that four-year-old in a mighty way and he's uh, using you and your husband in a mighty way as well, which I think is just absolutely awesome. And like you say, God has a heart for children as well. You know, And it's it's so great that you were able to help to show, you know, the local Christians there too, the importance of children's ministry as well as the other ministries of the church as well. You actually had the privilege of starting a church, founding a church in a little fishing village. Tell us about, uh, about your experiences there. The second
1: year we went up with the church that we were going to, There was a few little home groups going around the place and they had seven churches or home groups going around the place and we were sent out two by two to these home group churches. There was 14 of us up there that year and um, I said to my husband before we went, I said, oh, we're going to finish up in a home group. You wait and see. And we got sent to one of these little home groups and what we didn't know when we got there, it came rain just as we got to the place and they always met underneath a mango tree. And of course we couldn't stay under the mango tree so we went in underneath the house that they were building to live in and that was the home church we went to. And it was virtually two families together and the we were able to plant this church properly. What we found out that night, we found out that... They had a pastor that was bringing them together to lead them but he took all the money and took off and left them high and dry. Wow. And that all happened that day that we went into that church and we were able to prophetically plant this church that day and we were able to give them the guidance of how to come bring it all back together and take it on. And that's how we come to plant that church up there. And then over the years we've visited that church and talked to them and email them and all sorts of things just to, if they hear a hit a problem, they email us and then I email them back and say, like, this is what I would do if I were you and, and they do it and it works out for them. So that's how we come to plant this church and it's at a little fishing village called Tupasarao. They called it Liberty Fellowship.
2: It's so great and, um, to empower the locals to be able to run it as well rather than relying on you to uh, be you know, the be-all and end-all, which is great. The other thing I wanted to ask you about, Beverly, is uh, the very unique way that you met your husband. Uh, I reckon there's probably not too many couples that have met this way. Tell us about uh, your love story. I had
1: met him in 2000 because I was looking for somewhere to go to church during the week because I was working shift work and I found out about... This Triumph International Ministries Church over here in North Ipswich, and I went over, and my husband would get the tongues for interpretation. We are Pentecostals, and he would get the tongues, and I would have the interpretation, and that's how we met in the church.
2: You were made for each other. I love this.
1: (laughs) He would get the tongues that come, and it still happens today. He gets the tongues. Never met him in my life. He'd have the tongues, and. I would stand up and give the interpretation on it and a few weeks later he said to me one day "Um, I think God's trying to do something with us but the Lord had spoken to me and said now don't say anything keep your mouth closed and I'll tell you when it's the right time and um, we eventually got married in 2005 after I spent two years in Sydney working in the Church of the Good Shepherd for two years. So. And then I came back to Queensland and we got married that year. That was 2005.
2: So right from the very early days, your marriage has been based on ministry together.
1: Exactly. Mm. Exactly. And he was 79 when we got married and I was 64, I think. Yeah, 64 or 65. Yeah,
2: And nowadays, you're still very active, still going over to PNG as you're able and uh, doing some great work over there, supporting the locals in what they do, which, as I said before, I think is so important to empower the local churches rather than trying to do it here, you know, in our own strength as well. Uh, Pastor Beverly, it's been wonderful chatting with you. Thank you so much for taking the time to tell your story today. Thank you very much for having us.
1: It's been a pleasure.
0: That was Shelley Scowen chatting with Pastor Beverly Clark about her ministry adventures in several countries with her husband, Sam. And as we said at the beginning of today's program, her life shows that you're never too young or too old for God to use you. If you're open to his leading, you could be in for some pretty fantastic adventures. Just ask Beverly. As she mentioned, her husband went on his first missions trip in his 80s. It's amazing. It's amazing. As a matter of fact, the two of them founded Clark Family Missions and Children's Day Ministry back in 2007 and have continued to minister in Papua New Guinea for the past several years. Pastor Beverly and Sam are so beloved in PNG, they've come to be known as Mama Bev and Papa Sam. They remind me of the verse in the Bible that says, Whatever you do, work at it with your whole being for the Lord, and not for men, because you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as your reward. Finally, if you'd like to contact Beverly and find out how you can help with the various projects they've involved in in PNG, please contact us here at Vision and we'll put you in contact with her. Just send us a message through our website, vision.org.au. That's vision.org. Dot au. Well, thanks for joining us for Beverly Clark's story. I'm Jimmy Colfax, encouraging you to share your story with someone today. Next time on The Story. She said, listen, we are packing up. We're not staying here another day. Uh, and it's not until late that she realised actually what she had been involved with was the occult through the Ouija board. And that had opened the door in a sense for her to have this encounter. But uh, she got rid of all the occultic stuff that she, uh, she started looking at these things a little bit more and then realised there were a few things that she was involved in that she shouldn't have been in, although it was innocently. Etienne McClintock grew up in South Africa where several of his family members were involved in the occult. This had an influence on his life as he began to watch occult-orientated horror movies in his teenage years. We'll find out how the light eventually overcomes the darkness in his life next time. The story, story. just another way vision is connecting faith to life.